Well, it's my honor and joy to just to be able to encourage you in the word tonight. And so uh, we're just going to get right on into it. Uh, I was telling Pastor Todd, I said, if anything, I have uh, my challenges is I have to edit because there's a lot of scripture. And so I read one scripture. I'm like, yes, we need to breath. And before you know it, uh, I feel like I have uh, uh, as many notes as the the symphony. You know, it's like, no, 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 okay, no, you can't teach them all the Greek and Bible in just in a short amount of time. And so by God's grace, he's just going to encourage you in the word. Okay. And so we're going to get right started. What I want to talk with you tonight about is overcoming fear. Overcoming fear. Okay. And so I want to explain. Oh, looky there. I just love having all that nice and neat up there. Okay. And so uh, I want to explain something that uh, there's two kinds of fear that the word of God talks about. So that to bring clarity and order. One is godly fear and one is ungodly fear. Okay. So let's talk about the godly fear just just briefly. You kind of set it up. Godly fear in Psalm 111, verses 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding. Have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. Godly fear it is the reverence, the respect, and honoring a holy God with our lives. And we are seriously aware of the destructive and deadly effects, sin of disobedience would impact our lives if we don't surrender. That's godly fear. Okay. First um, uh, Peter five six through seven it says, "So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about what happens to you." See, I want to I want to begin to talk about the nature and the heart of God. Because when you talk about the nature and the heart of God, it gives you comfort, it gives you strength, so that whenever you are faced with the ungodly fear, you will recognize where it comes from and what you're dealing with. Okay? Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, and the godly run to him, and the godly run to him are safe. See, it's amazing to me that is that uh, not only does Scripture, it shares with us the heart and the nature and the character of Christ, but Scripture, it, God is sharing with us, knowing what the enemy is going to use to attack us. So he said, listen, I'm a safe place. Listen, I know what's going to happen to you, but give all your worries and all your cares to me. It's like the Scripture is written, God, as he is eternal, as he is all-knowing, but knowing what the enemy will do to attack us. And so it's so it's vital that we know the heart, the heart of God. Proverbs 18.10 in the message version, it says, God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. Psalm 91, 2 through 3, it says, This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting him, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. So look to somebody next to you and say, give all your worries and cares to God. Now here's another part of it. He cares about what happens to you. See, one of the, the lies of the enemy is he wants you to, look, it's too heavy, he don't care. If he cared, it wouldn't be happened. Well, we're going to look and see scripture so that you can recognize when that lie is thrown to you. Okay. Romans 8, 15, it says, you have received uh, a spirit. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading 
to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption by sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Not only God wants us to uh, reverence and respect him, but he is not, he is there to, uh, as our refuge, as our safe place, not to ever put fear to bring oppression and worry and doubt into us. That's not how he operates. Okay. So I want to show you a quick little video. Doug, we got that video. Were we able to do that? Doug's the man. Okay. So take a look up here and just want to show you a little, a little video of some fear. our heavenly father he does not look the other way and he's not there to laugh at us and to say come on get up get over yourself no well, i want us to closely look at some some people that faced fear and and what is the dialogue and the response that god gave to them okay so let's talk about ungodly fear for a moment uh where does ungodly fear come from second timothy 1 one seven. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. But what has he given us? But of power and of love and a sound mind. This is directly saying this, and God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So again, where does ungodly fear come from? Satan. Okay. What is the mission of ungodly fear? What is the mission? It is to deceive devour you from living out God's purpose for your life. That is the mission. First Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be, vigil be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he can devour. Devour. Now, I'd like for us to look at a couple of things. What are the realities of fears? Realities of fears. As I was kind of processing this, you know, God knows that I like to, to make, uh, I like to do word studies and I like to, um, you know, just understand the origin of them in the Greek, even if I can't pronounce, it's like, oh, that's cool where that came from. And so as I was putting this together, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, what is the target? Whenever the enemy tries to bring fear in our lives, what is his target? What is his mission? His mission is three things. As we know, to devour, to deceive, but he's always going to aim at three things, our relationships, our identity, and our purpose. Whenever the enemy comes to bring fear, he's always going to aim for our relationships, our identity, and our purpose. And I'm not trying to be morbid here, so just follow with me. But the word just says he wants, he wants to take us out. He wants to take us down. Another version, he wants you dead. Okay? And so when someone dies... What is a, well, you go ahead and leave that up there, Doug. What is, what is a word that you hear? 
rest in peace. R.I.P., rest in peace. You know, but what the enemy does is he wants to devour these things so that our life is taken away from us. Relationships, identity, and purpose. So let's look at some of the realities of fear of how he tries to attack that. Okay? Um, number one, fear will cause you not to rely and depend upon Jesus, but yourself. Fear will cause you to rely and depend upon Jesus, but yourself. Okay? Um, self-reliant, you will be, uh, self-reliance causes distance, uh, uh, distance from you and God because your first go-to to resolve conflict or heartbreak is to yourself and for you to come up with a plan. You know, or you'll use, okay, I got this. I don't need nobody's help. And you go to depend upon the help of self, of the plan of yourself instead of God. But this is the issue. A, your resolve is even deceived because it's I've got to go away from everything and everyone to isolate myself. Isolation is never God's heart for you and I. That is how. And, and, and fear, because uh, the author of ungodly fear is Satan, his nature and character is lying. So where you see fear, you will always see a lie. Where you see fear, you will always see deception because the author of the, the author of fear is the father of lies. Okay. Uh, Luke 16, 13, it says, no servant can have two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. Does God want you to hate yourself? Absolutely not. But God does not want you to depend upon your own understanding, upon your resolve in a conflict. He wants you to surrender. He wants us to surrender. Self-reliance will leave you stuck spiritually because you have to surrender your will to allow God to be Lord of your life. See, the world will tell you, hey, come on, be independent. But that is not what God's word says. That's not what God's word says. You want fear to be fuel, fueled, ignited greater in your life? Be self-reliant. And it will be. Okay? Realities of fear. Um, I was, uh, and I, I made a note here. You know, how many of you love the beach? Yes, there should be an amen there. Even those that are fair-skinned. You know, I love the beach. You, you know, a couple things that you do, or at least what I do on the beach, is that, you know, you just snack. You read, you nap, and play. That's it. You snack, you read, you nap, and you play. And when I go out on the beach, obviously because I'm very fair-skinned, I have I have a process because I'm used to, of, you know, the sun grabbing a hold of me and burning me. So I have a process. I layer multiple layers of sunscreen, wear the glasses, wear the hat, wear the shirt, wear the umbrella. And, um, and so my family jokes, and so they say, Dixie, we just need to get you a burqa. You know, and so if you're familiar with what that is, Muslims, it's a big old shroud that they wear. But anyway, and so towards the end of my vacation, you know, just resting. And, and I like to walk on the beach whenever kind of the sun's going down to so where that way you know, I'm not going to get no sunburn. OK, so I'm just walking on the beach, looking at, at the mass of the ocean and just enjoying it. And very surprisingly, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and 
And he used the, the size and the depth and the massiveness of the ocean as his plan for my life. And he says, Dixie, look at it. It's farther than you can see. And it's wider than you can see. It's big. That's the plan that I have. Then he had an application. He says, you're going to have to get out of the boat. Trust me. And if you're familiar with the story in Matthew 14, 23, where, you know, um, at this time, uh, Jesus um, had just, he had really went through a lot of stuff. His cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded and, and he had fed 5,000 and he was just kind of drained. And so he told the disciples, hey, I want you to, to go out on, onto the water. And, and, uh, and so he, he took some solitude to, not isolation, but solitude to, to connect with the Father and just to kind of, uh, just be encouraged. And a storm came. And, um, and in verse 27, it says, but Jesus spoke at them once. He said, it's all right. And he was talking because obviously they were becoming fearful, as you can about imagine, you know, and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he's, and he, uh, and Peter called to him and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. And his response was, okay. No problem. Okay. Now let's think about this for a moment. At this part in the world, this is absolutely human impossible. This has never been done, never been seen. You can't be taught to walk on water because it's not natural. It's not natural. Some of the places and the things that God will cause you and to use you to do, it's going to be bigger than you. And it's not going to come by your own strength and your own ability. And I find that it is amazing that that. When Peter, he got out of the, he obviously, he, he got out of the boat and he started walking on water. And, and, you know, the story goes, you know, he looked around, he began to sing. And Jesus is so calm. And, and, and instantly he says, and Jesus reached down on his hand and grabbed him. But he's so calm and he says, you don't have much faith. You know, many times God will speak to us and he'll tell us to do things and go somewhere. But fear will want to keep us in that boat. God said, I need you to get out of the boat. Oh, but all oh, this water is rough. This has never been done before. But God is not hindered and held back by any circumstances or any situations. He just needs us to listen to his voice and get out of the boat. And what an adventure we will have if we do. Think about it. Now, what kind of story? Obviously, the Bible doesn't describe, you know, Peter saying, you should have seen what I saw. The Bible doesn't go into that. But come on. Don't you know that was an interesting conversation when he got back to the boat with the disciples? Knowing Peter's nature, knowing his character, he said, y'all missed out. I got it. You didn't. Knowing him, that's probably, again, that's not what Scripture says, but just, you know, God doesn't want us to miss out. So get out of the boat when it's gone. Self-reliant will keep you in the boat when God is calling you to serve him with your life. God will cause you to do, call you to do things that are bigger than you. So one, the realities of fear. Fear will cause you not to rely and depend upon Jesus but yourself. Number two, fear is no respecter of persons. Fear is no respecter of persons. Not your age um, as a child or adult, not your hardships or your heartbreaks, not your spiritual maturity. If you're breathing, Satan's target is to bring fear to you. Okay, 
Now, this is, this is very, very vital. These two truths right here. One, Satan is afraid of God. Very true. And number two, if you have Jesus living inside of you, Satan's afraid of you too. But you need to grab a hold of that. Amen? Okay? And so many times people can talk about Satan targets to bring fear. You know? Well, bring it on. Okay? I'm not worried about it. Okay? Um, fear, uh, fear is no respect of persons. God doesn't ignore, dismiss, or find uh, fear ridiculous in us whenever it is active. This is very important, and I'm going to explain. I'm going to. We're going to look at someone in the Bible. I'm going to read that again. God doesn't ignore, dismiss, or find ridiculous if we have real fears. Okay, He listens, He cares, and He will talk with us through it to bring truth and affirmation of His calling and knowing that God is with us, no matter what we face. We will endure and can stand to the very end. Here's another truth. Fear doesn't disqualify us from God's calling us to be used mightily to serve him. And I'm going to show you what the word says. Okay? Anybody know Moses? Well, not know Moses, but know of Moses. See, when you hear Moses, you think of, wow, a mighty man of God. And he is. Okay? But let's look at a couple of things that Moses faced. Again, I didn't write the word, just looking at it. And, and you're going to be encouraged, okay? Exodus 9, excuse me, Exodus 3, 9 through 13. Uh, at this time, uh, Moses, he's, as, I, as you're familiar with the story, Moses sees a, a burning bush, but uh, he's uh, quite interested because he knows that the bush is uh, on fire, but that it is not being consumed with fire. So it draws his attention. He's like, hey, let me check this out. Now, I've never seen anything like this before, okay? And so th- this is where this comes about. And then God begins to speak to Moses. The cries of the, uh, starting at verse 9, the cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses in that morning has a face-to-face encounter with God. Face-to-face encounter with God. But listen to the dialogue that the mighty man of God Moses is having and the, and God's mighty and lovingly reply. Okay, verses 11. But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12. Then God told him, I will be with you. And this will serve as proof that I have sent you when you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt and you will... And, and you will return here to worship God at this very mount, at this very uh, mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is his name? What should, you know, this is their dialogue that he's having. And then God, again, he sure is being long suffering here. God replied, tell them, I am the one who always is. Now, see, in that statement right there, I would have been done. That's pretty good, Lord. I'll just tell him that. Okay? That's good enough for me. Okay? Just tell them, I am has, has uh, sent me to you. Gather the Israelites' leaders. Tell them what I have said. I know the king, I know the king of Egypt will put heavy pressure before you go. Listen, God is, is having empathy in, in what he's telling Moses to do. He said, Moses, 
I'm not, what I'm asking you to do, I know what you're going to face. I know what you're going to encounter. But I am with you. I am with you. But Moses in Exodus 4, 1, but Moses protested again. Look, they, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say the Lord never appeared. Okay? And Moses replied, okay, now, now I'm back and I'm back. I'm, I'm uh, kind of moving around here. In verses, um, Exodus 4, verses 3, God brings Moses. Uh, he says, hey, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses has a staff. And I thought this was comical compared to the story I told you about a snake of mine, but not my snake, but a snake situation. Listen how Moses responds, okay? It says, throw down on the ground that staff. And so Moses threw it down and it became a snake. And Moses was terrified and he ran away. So it's not just me that has issues with snake. It was Moses too. So Moses pleaded with the Lord. Okay, let's look at this dialogue here. Moses protested once. Moses protested twice. Now he's going to pleading with the Lord. Lord, I am just not a good speaker. And multiple times God was saying, just just now go. Come on, go. I'm with you. Go. Now with you. Go. I'm with you. Verses 13. But Moses pleaded again. Again. And then verse 14, the Lord became angry with Moses. He said, all right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? He is a good speaker. But I want you to look at verses 16 and 17. Okay. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people and you will see and you will be as God to him telling him what to say and be sure to take your shepherd's staff along so you can perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Moses protested two times. Moses pleaded two times. God repeatedly told him to go. But God did not ignore or dismiss the fear of inferiority that was plaguing him. What did God do? He listened. He cared. Why? It's because you and I have to hear and receive the word of God for inferiority to be dismissed. So not only will we know who we are, but we will know whose we are. There has to be that exchange. This is vital that we see God in a relationship like this. Because when fear comes, and it will, it will immediately begin to attack the nature and character of God and want to pull you to be self-reliant because you're, you should not be dealing with this. You're a Christian. You should not be doing it. Listen, Moses dealt with this. Moses dealt with fear of inferiority. But here's the deal. Somewhere in that real fear of inferiority was a real lie. When God had to tell him, you can. I've called you. You can. I've called you. But here's another thing. When I said earlier, when I said it, fear doesn't disqualify us from God's calling and using us mightily. Even though Aaron was the spokesman, God told him, God said, you will be as God to him, telling him what to say. The authority and the calling that God had placed on Moses did not leave him. Did not leave him. Because God knew that that fear of inferiority was trying 
to detour him away from his relationship, his identity, his purpose. And that was to be a deliverer of the children of Israel. Anytime God begins to call you for you to, to get out of the boat, to use you mightily to do something, anticipate fear coming your way. We must recognize it for what it is. Romans 16, 25 through 26 it says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. When you and I can go to God knowing that he will listen, that he will care, that he will process how we're feeling and he will give us instruction and guidance, it will establish his word in us through a relationship. Listen to the words that are connected with the, with the word established. The word established here is meaning to stand, is meaning to seize is meaning to continue, is meaning to raise up, remain, repair, and tarry. Before you and I will be able to stand and raise up and tarry and not give up, we have to have that one-on-one talking communication like Moses did, but knowing that we can go to God and that is the dialogue and response that he will have with us. He's not going to say, you've got to be kidding me. You should know better than this. You didn't learn this when you were younger. You notice that if the enemy approach, if you begin to have that dialogue with yourself, if you begin to have that kind of talk with yourself, that is the enemy because that is an attitude of condemnation. And that is not the attitude of the Holy Spirit and how he operates. Okay? Don't let fear and lies uproot God's word being established in your life to bring about his purpose in and through you. In and through you. Isaiah 41, 9 through 10, it says, You are my servant. I have chosen you. Look to somebody next to you and say, You're chosen. Now I'm going to continue. And not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Uh, do not anxiously look about for I am your God I will strengthen you surely I will help you surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand I love in the new living translation it says for I have chosen you and will not throw you away because the because God knows the tactics of the enemy he knows that he's going to come and bring fear but whenever he comes and bring fears God is not saying I'm not done with you yet I'm just getting started you know, so don't allow condemnation to, to wrestle with you. If fear comes, you just look at it and says, Oh, God's about to do something good. If I'm being attacked like this, come on. All right. All right. So realities of fear. One, fear will cause you not to rely and depend upon Jesus, but yourself Two, Fear is no respecter of persons. Man, I'm doing awesome on time. Okay. I'm charged up. Number three, fear. A side note. Okay. Fear has many faces. Fear has many faces. One author, the kind of fear we're talking about, ungodly fear. The author is the devil. But fear has many faces. Let me give you, I'm going to, I'm going to read them and then we're going to look at, at two different people in the Bible and, and how, um, and how they went through it. One, fear has a face of, uh, fear of inferiority. We identified that with Moses. Now let me just say something. You're not going to see the word in the Bible, fear of inferiority. You're not going to see that. But as we just read the, the, um, the dialogue with Moses, 
there was obvious inferiority operating in his life. Okay? And so I just want to clarify that. Fear of inferiority. Fear of provisions. Fear of death. Fear of failure. All of those are fears. And here's another one. Fear of man. So we're going to talk about those for a moment. Okay? Fear of inferiority. Everyone else can do it better than me. Um... And you will find fault in yourself, make fun of yourself, and being very critical of yourself. Fear of inferiority. Moses is a great example. I cannot look. I can't speak. You know, it's very evident. Okay? The truth is, is that Satan cannot control your destiny or your success. That is between you and God. But if you place fear, if you allow fear of doubt and want to quit and give up, and you can open the door for a stronghold to grip your mind to hold you captive of inferiority. Did you get that? 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 5. It talks about Satan, the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Whenever we began to believe, whenever we began to, listen, when you began to criticize yourself, when you began to, to jokingly make fun of yourself, think of it like this. You're mocking a child of God. And I love in Scripture whenever he says, it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Psalm says, it says, and I wish I had it down here. I want to think of Psalm 138. It says, his thoughts are on you constantly. He thinks of you more than the grains of sand. And when you wake up in the morning, he's still thinking about you. Man, that's God. That's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's thinking about you. Why? Because you are most precious to him. You know, we have enough people, you know, in the world criticizing and, 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 and just bringing us down. But we don't need to use our own tongue to do that. But we will if that's what we believe. Don't allow that. There's, there's life and death in the power of your tongue. Speak life over yourself. You're not being selfish speaking life over yourself. You say, no, I'm a child of God. I will have favor. No, I'm a child of God. I will have divine. Come on, speak life over yourself. It's not being prideful or arrogant. No, no, it's like you are adoring what God has created. Amen? Amen. Okay. Fear has many faces. Fear of provision. Evidence of fear operating is nothing can disrupt your routine. Now, I don't want y'all looking around at nobody or pointing, pointing any fingers if you see some evidence of this, okay? You have a fear of provision. Things, um, everything has to be very, very routine. And no one and nothing can, can get out of order and change that plan. Let me just say this, love. God did not make you a controlling person. That is from the face of and here's a lie that's entangled. Ready? Well, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Don't look at your spouse. Just come on, keep on focus with me right now. Yeah. Or I just do it better. Well, I understand. There's different people with giftings or whatever. But don't confuse the fear of provision. With control. Control. Because there's two areas that will control when you have a fear of provision. It will control your money and it will control your intimacy. 
because they're both in directly relation with your relationship with God. Are you going to trust Him? Okay. All right. Look to somebody next to you. Say, uh, uh, "Come on, give them encouragement." Don't let get too quiet in here. Okay. Uh, next fear of uh, fear has, has many faces. Fear of death. If you have experienced trauma uh, by someone trying to hurt you, or been in a car accident, or have a, a family history of loved ones dying of certain diseases by a certain age, or have received a negative doctor's report, these are real things. And God is not flippantly. You know, he's not going to say no. He said, "Listen." I'm not going to reject you. He says, surely I will help you and I will uphold you. You know, in, in, um, in 2009, uh, I had, uh, I was having some pain in my abdomen and, um, and you know, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't care, even though I have a loving sister who's a doctor, I just really don't care to spend time to go to doctors. So I'm working on that, you know, and so I would, and she's, she don't want me to say it, but anyway, and so to slow down and take care of yourself, you know, you, you got to do it. Your body's a temple, I understand. But anyway, and so um, I had, you know, I was kind of feeling around. I was like, man, you know, I, I have this little knot in my stomach. And I had convinced myself, oh, it's just fat, you know. And so <laughs> and and so Joy, she was still in medical school. She said, well, she says, she said, well, what does it feel like? And she actually diagnosed it before I even went to the doctor. And, and she says, well, does it hurt? I said, yeah. She said, well, fat doesn't hurt. <laughs> anyway, and so... Um, I went to the uh, the doctor, and by the time that I went to the doctor, and again, this I'll just confess, this was pride because uh, I, I I had made an appointment the Monday, but I was coming to work Sunday, and Mom knew I was in pain, and so back in the day in the children's ministry, you probably you might have seen me walking around like this because I had gotten so bad I couldn't stand up all the way because my abdomen was hurting, so I was just kind of hi, good morning, how are you, and so um. And so one thing a fear will do is it will disconnect you from reality. Isn't that the truth? You'll preach yourself out of it and you're like, stop, go to the doctor. And so uh, I went to the doctor and literally I was there 20 seconds. He says, yeah, you got a knot in your abdomen. Okay, really? I could have told you that. I want some answers. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like I'm, I, I'm working on my patients. Okay. And so go to another doctor. And by this time, I can't even open the door. I mean, it's like, the, I'm like, I'm not even doing like that. I'm just like going, you know, and the nurse and the guy fill all this paperwork and you just want to throw the clipboard right at her and just say, just get, let me see the doctor. Anyway. Okay. And so I go and I see the doctor and, uh, and he can't, he can't even examine that area without me wanting to smack him in the face. It's just like, I can tell you it hurts. I don't need you. I just want you to, you know, put a salve on it. Give me a pill. I got things to do. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, and so, you know, he says, well, you know, you got to go to have the, I don't know if it was a CAT scan. I think I went in a little tunnel thing. And so I went to the CAT scan. And so as I'm in the CAT scan and, and all this time, I'm just thinking, what a waste of my time. This is, I'm just so aggravated. I have things to do. And, um, and so, you know, with technology, they were able to bring the, the results, uh, electronically to the doctor. When I go back in the office, there's a completely new atmosphere. Everybody is looking at me like this. They're like, come on. Come on. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, well, I know it's going to be okay. I just want some answers. And so when I get in there, and even the countenance of the doctor is very different. And I'm like, 
Well, guys, I was only gone for 15 minutes. Did somebody die? Yeah, that's how I was being. The atmosphere was completely changed. And he looked at me and he said, Dixie, he said, you're going to need surgery. And I'm like, no, give me another option. He says, no, you have a mass. I said, well, what does that mean? And finally, and he was, he was being, he was trying to not be, you know, fearful. I said, is that another fancy word for a tumor? And he says, yes. I said, hmm. And all of a sudden, fear just gripped me. Like someone just ripped my heart right out. And all of a sudden, I realized, whoa, vitamin C can't take care of this. A week out can't take care of this. I need something more. And just by the grace of God and and seeking counsel from, from other physicians, um, we went through a, a different uh, type and form of therapy. And I was diagnosed in February. And come October when we did the scan, the nurse looked at me and says, why are you here? I said, I'm here to see if the tumor's gone. She says, well, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't see nothing. Amen. Amen. And so, listen, God will place people around you for counsel and for strength because it'll come to a point to where you will not be able not only to think of tomorrow. And I remember calling Brother Todd and, uh, and I couldn't even get it out. I could just go, <laughs> I couldn't even get it out because the words, the fear just gripped you, you know? And so, um, let me tell you something. There's a reason why God calls himself the great physician. And I'm not trying to, if you're going through some health issues, let me just, let me just encourage you. Whether you get a healing here, I promise you, you will get a healing because in heaven, there is no pain and there is no suffering. So God's word is eternal. When he says, I am the great physician, we can hold on to that truth and not allow fear to grip us. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right, we're moving on. So the, the faces of fear. Fear will cause you not to rely and depend upon Jesus, but upon yourself. Fear is no respecter of persons. Fear has many faces. Fear of provision, fear of death, fear of inferiority. The next is fear of uh, failure. Fear of failure. Now, this has, this has two parts I want to talk about for a moment. One, in dealing with your job. And then two, dealing with... Oh, I am not a biological parent, but I have some precious nieces and nephews. And it is by the grace of God when you can parent. Because they do some crazy things. Now, I'm not going to mention any names, but I had one of my loved ones who is a minor and a child the other day, um, not too long ago, um, told me no. And not only did they tell me no, but they wanted to know that they told me no. And they said, I just told you no. Did you hear that? That's what, that's what this child is saying. I said, I sure did. I said, we're going to take care of that. I mean trying to test. Now, this is what I find. 
They don't test in times of convenience. No. They test in the most trying times to where when you mess up by your response, okay, the enemy will be ready to pounce on you and say, you have failed. Give you an example. Okay? Satan wants you not to have faith to receive God's promises if you raise your children in the way, in God's way with confidence. And why? Because Satan wants you not to use your God-given authority as a parent to train your children in the ways of the Lord. And then instead of one person being Satan's enemy, the parents, now Satan is faced with a whole family that is Satan's enemy. He wants you, he wants to place fear of failure in you. You raise your voice, they're going to be scarred for the rest of their life, and they're never going to have any healthy relationships. Let me tell you something. God know there's a reason when God says, Proverbs 22, 6, it says, teach your children to choose the right path, and when they were older, they will, they will remain in it. Let me just tell you this. The church, God did not give the church the charge to train the parents. He gave He gave the parents the charge to train the children. Did I say that right? He didn't give the church the charge to train the children. He gave the parents the charge to train the children. So therefore, if God says, hey, parents, you can do this, then he's got your back. Okay? So recognize when fear of failure wants to rise up within you because you're just like, The child made a bad choice. There is a reason why scripture said train. Because they need it. Their little hearts are wicked. And we're going to train them in the ways of the Lord. (laughs) And they're going to test us. And they're going to try us. And they're going to put their little foot down. And they're going to say, did you just hear me say no? I said, yes, I did. But we're going to go spank you because you're going to be a mighty man of God one of these days. Come on. The enemy wants to bring a fear of failure in you so that you will cower to a three-year-old. No, no, no. (laughs) I don't think so. The rod of correction in every part of my house. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I I laughed at a parent one time because whenever they said that, but now I can appreciate They said they took the paddle and they hung it around their neck. And when I heard that, I'm like, that woman's done lost her mind. She needs a vacation. Oh, no, I realize it now. <laughs> because the training will come in unexpected moments. And you don't want the five-minute delay of, where is my paddle? Because then the enemy will use that to then enrage more fear of failure upon you. You know? Look at you, little Johnny's done lost his mind. I can't believe. Well, what kind of household is he from? You just not doing a good job. Oh no. Recognize that trap. Because if you begin to believe that about yourself, you will not rise up in the authority that God has given you to mold and shape that character. Because you won't feel afraid to do it. God said. I've called you. I've called you. And look, there's some promises. Proverbs 31, 28. It says, and her children will rise up and call her blessed. You might not see when little Johnny is being trained. 
Oh, when you're constantly having to stay consistent. Failure will want to detour you away from consistency and security. And those are two things that must be established in a child's life. Because if you feel like a failure, you're going to be like a yo-yo as a parent. You're going to read every new book. You're going to read every new plan. Right here, people. It's all in here. It's all in here. It's all in there. Okay? But even more is that God said, I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's talking to parents. But anyway, okay? Next thing is with your is with your job. Fear of failure brings such an emotional and mental turmoil when God calls us to do something that is bigger than ourselves. You know, when I uh, when Brother Todd gave me the assignment to uh, to teach at the Freedom Weekend, I cannot begin to tell you the overwhelming demonic attack that I had. I don't identify myself as being a fearful person. Because sometimes if you identify fear as being, oh, the boogeyman is going to get you, that's not fear. That's a form of fear. You know, if you're afraid of the elements, that's a form of fear. But fear is connived. There could be fear of failure operating in you. And the enemy was giving me crazy, crazy dreams. I mean, dreams like, I had planned and studied all day for my message, and then whenever I got up there to preach, I could not see any words on the paper. And then I was trying to figure out, okay, if I run in my office and I can print, and then and then the event was over. And I felt just the, the heaviness of fear of failure. Even to speaking tonight, I cannot tell you the crazy dream that I had. I dreamt that the auditorium was in, was, it, was, it was a cathedral and it was under construction. And I had finished the message. I had finished, even printed it out. But there was an obstacle for me even bringing it to Brother Todd to say, okay, I'm ready. To whenever I got to him and said, hey, I'm ready, it dissolved right in my hands. And I kid you not, he even had a printer. This is a crazy, he had a printer and he says, oh, this happens all the time. With my computer to stick it in there, to print out in front of the altar. And whenever I went to go in, couldn't even find it on the computer. Crazy, crazy stuff. Feel your failure is trying to intervene. But not by might. Not by power. But by the Spirit of God. You and I will succeed. Okay? In relation to parents and recognizing fear of fear, I just want to give you two stories. You know, I had to call mama on this because I was so young. I've heard this story mentioned, but I've never, uh, I don't remember it, okay? And because I was two years old. So it's understandable that I wouldn't remember it. But um, mom and dad were uh, had been down with the flu, and I was two, and so Stephen was, was just a baby, and my brother... And so uh, we had been at Grandma's house, Meemaw's house, and so, but Mom and Dad were feeling better. So um, uh, Meemaw brought it back to Mom and Dad, because when pa- both parents are sick, that's just a mess, especially if you have a baby and preschoolers. And so they decided, Mom and Dad decided to go to the mall just for me to let my two-year-old energy out. You know, they were, they were good, but they were just still gaining kind of their strength. And so, you know, two-year-olds, they run a little bit, and then they kind of lag back. They run a little bit, and then they kind of lag back. 
My mama had noticed, you know, I was doing that. And so all of a sudden she sees from a distance me, her two-year-old, standing in a display window where two-year-olds should not be. And so as she walked closer, she began to hear her two-year-old passionately calling on the name of Jesus. Passionately being said, Jesus, be healed in the name of Jesus. You know, and and as she approached, she realized that I was praying. But what I was praying for, there's no way that it was going to, that, that there was going to be healing because no matter how hard I prayed, that mannequin's hand was not growing back. But this is the deal. If you impart to them the truths of the word of God at two years old, they're going to know whose name to call on. You know, they're going to know who to go to in time of need. And at the end of the day, that's what's eternal, parent. So you're good. Come on, look to yourself. I'm good. I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay. And so the next thing is, is that again, whether you're two years old or whether you're a teenager, I remember uh, Pastor Terry Darnell, we used to have these uh, prayer, uh, up till midnight, you know, y'all remember that Stephen, then we'd go and we pray till midnight and we were in the old auditorium over there. And I can remember as we were praying, the Holy spirit allowed me to see and hear, uh, some demonic activity that was happening in the corner. I, I remember it. Like if you're walking into like the foyer, like here's all you're walking in the foyer. It was over there on the corner of the right. And, uh, and what was happening is the demons, that had been assigned to bring disorder, um, they were not able to accomplish their task because the youth were praying and worshiping. And what they were doing is they were crying and they were complaining. And I remember one of them said, what are we going to do? One of them was crying. One of them was complaining. What are we going to do? And the other one said, there's nothing that we can do. And why is that so vital? Because your children will hear the voice of God. You just create an atmosphere for their spirits to grow and be cultivated. Okay? Okay. Speaking of my parents, I got I know that they would not want me to do this, but you know, um, your children will rise up and call you blessed. We have two pastors and a doctor. God is faithful. So we're going to rise up and we're going to call mama. Go ahead and stand up. This is my mama, Gwen Bowen. That's right. And this is my dad, Dennis Bowen. He's just going to raise his hand. You know, we will rise up and honor, you know, and honor our parents. Okay. So the next one is fear of rejection. And then we're going to, I'm going to paraphrase some things, but fear of rejection. Want to use the example of David in the Bible. First, first Samuel 16, 11 through 13. And just kind of giving you the story of David. Um, uh, uh, Samuel had, had come to anoint a new king, um, uh, and, um, David was the youngest. And, uh, and so he had three bigger and stronger, uh, older brothers, Eliab, Abnab, and Shammah, if I'm pronouncing those correctly. And so Samuel had come to anoint a new king. And, and Jesse, and as, as Samuel's looking at the individual, individual guys who are big and strong, Samuel said, man, this must be the ones, but it was not lining up with what the Holy Spirit was saying. And God was saying, no, they're not the ones. I'm looking at the heart. 
And so uh, Samuel goes to Jesse and says, hey, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's response is very interesting. He says, uh, yeah, I have the youngest, but he's out in the fields. Very important. When Samuel came to town, there was tremendous reverence and fear what's happening. It wasn't a lightly situation. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a light event. And the fact that Jesse did not have David there was a rejecting thing. Because this was grand. There was, this was, this, Samuel was in town on a mission from God. But my, I have my younger son. There was a rejecting factor there. Okay? But then, when, Je, when, when they went and they called for David, you know the story. God said, hey, he's the one, a man after my own heart. So he was anointed. Um, um, and it says, the power of God came upon him. Well, when you scroll down a little bit, uh, the three older brothers, they were a part of Saul's army. So they were uh, in battle. And as they were in battle with the Philistines, you know, the, the warrior of the Philistines, the giant uh, Goliath. And so David's dad had instructed David, hey, I want you to go. I want you to bring some food to the boys, uh, bring some food to their captains. And then I want you to give me a report on how they're doing. And so David says, no problem, dad, I got that. And so as David went to the battle, he uh, began to hear the exchange and the threatening uh, tones and the aggressiveness against Goliath towards the children of Israel. Now listen to the dialogue that took place with David and his, and his brother Eliab. Okay? But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, and what he was talking about is, listen, am I hearing correctly? Is there a reward if I go and kill that Philistine? I'm just, I just want to understand. You know, and he was like, yes, you heard correctly. There's a reward, okay? You won't have to pay taxes, and you'll get to marry uh, the king's daughter. And so David was getting pretty stoked. And so when Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He says, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep <coughs> you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. Listen to David's response. What have I done now? David was constantly faced with rejection with his dad and with his brothers. But what have I done now? You can expect those in your inner circle to reject you. But let me just share this. David did not allow that to overcome him with fear for the purpose and the plans that God has for his life. I believe that was the winning battle right there, way before he got on the field with Goliath. Sometimes we want God to do these grand things in our lives, and God's just wanting to deal with the relationships closest to you. Why? Because he'll know they'll have the greatest impact. I believe that David was able to overcome any rejection because during the beautiful times of him with those sheep, he was in close connection with the one that will never leave him or forsake him or reject him. He got his confidence and his security, his identity, in the one that had called him Jesus, not in Eliab. 
Eliam called him out, man, on the carpet. I mean, attacked his character. What is his response? What did I do now? Just the fact that he did not engage into a battle. Be careful. You know when there's a spirit of rejection operating in your life is when you are quick to attack. When you are quick to quit criticize even the very ones that you love. Careful. Okay? In verses 45, and I have this on a plaque in my, in my office because I just love it. So I want you to listen to the, to the passion behind it. When David is faced with Goliath and they're on the field and, um, I mean, Goliath's just talking all kinds of smack. Listen to this. David shouted in reply to, to Goliath's smack talk. That's my version of the Bible, smack talk. Anyway, and he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies uh, of... I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the animals and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not yours. The Lord will give you to us. Let me tell you something. This truth right here, the Lord will conquer you. It is his battle, not yours. See, that's a personal statement right there. And rejection will always hit home. It will become very personal. But listen, keep the one closest to you, the Lord. And this is what I mean, is that I had someone many, many years ago just wrong with me. Like wrong me bad. And I received a phone call um, confirming um, someone thought that I knew that they had made another bad choice that was going to hurt me again, and um, and I didn't. And so I was so mad when I got off of that phone. I was so mad it made me physically ill. I thought I was going to throw up. I had to pull over the side of the road. And I mean, I just led into Jesus. I began to tell him, and this is my statement, I cannot believe Jesus this is happening again. Come on, God. You, why, why is this happening again? And I mean, I'm just letting the Lord have it. I'm just venting and I'm just mad. I cannot believe this person did this to me again. And just the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. This is what he said. Because the, the wrong actions of the person has just hurt me so, so, so deeply. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, now you know what my heart feels like when you sin. See, the fear of rejection will always want you to point the finger to everybody else. But when you're in a relationship with God, He's always going to do this right here. How's your attitude today? How's your response today? How's your actions today? Oh, but Lord, you don't know what they did. Mm -mm. Yeah. But what you do, because you're my child, you're my son, you're a reflection of me. So are you representing my name with your love? Are you representing my name? You get, you see the picture? See, David had mighty, mighty power. Not because he was representing Jesse, but because he was representing God Almighty. Now that'll preach right there. I hope you got that. 
And the same God that lives inside of Moses and David is the same God that lives inside of us. In closing, the last fear is fear of man. You know, and, and there's no way we can break Peter down in five minutes, but I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a couple of things I encourage you. Read Luke 5, 1 through 11. Every time that God began to do a great work in Peter, it was always to address a fear of man that was operating in him. Peter was the one that whenever faced with opposition after Jesus had already been, been uh, taken to the cross that he denied Jesus three times. So here we have him denying Jesus. Here we have him when God has given him instructions. Hey, I want you to take your, your boat out and, 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 and because I have more fish for you to catch. You know, and, and he's, and he's, he's a, and, and Jesus is addressing, say, Hey, just listen to me. Follow me. You know, I know that this is your boat. I know that you have partners in the water. I know that you're concerned about the fear of what man, uh, how it's going to maybe affect your business, how it's going to look, you know, around people. Cause everybody knows that you're a respected fisherman, but I need you to trust me. He was always addressing fear, the fear of man with Peter. And why is that? Because God was going to use him to establish the Christian church. God was going to use him on the day of Pentecost to win 3,000 souls. And the word says, the word says that on that day when the Holy Spirit had come, the word says, and Peter stepped forward. You can't step forward if you have the fear of man. Peter stepped forward and 3,000 people were saved. You can look at the fear of inferiority, the fear of failure, the, the fear of man, and all of those are trying to stop you, hinder you in your relationship with God, your identity and knowing who you are and whose you are and your purpose. So five R's real quick. Are you ready? How can we overcome fear? Recognize it. Recognize it for what it really is. Don't blame your personality type. Don't blame your upbringing. Don't make excuses for it. Call it out for what it is. Recognize it. Number two, repent. Because if you have self-reliant operating in your life, when you repent, it removes Satan's grip from having lordship operating in your life. That's repentance. Number three, renounce. Fear wants to illegally set up camp, staking claim over your life. And they don't have, and fear doesn't have the right because you were bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So recognize, repent, renounce, and receive. The reason why Peter was able to overcome the fear of man, why he was able to overcome, uh, whenever he denied Jesus, uh, even three times, why he was able to stand in front of and, and speak boldly and confidently with the anointing of God and uh, to win 3,000 people is because he had received the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in his life. First John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So recognize, repent, renounce, receive, and rejoice. 
Rejoice in what? Reminding the enemy and yourself in God's presence who you are and whose you are. Go ahead and stand to your feet and I'm going to read you Psalm 34, 1 through 6. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to concentrate as I read this scripture. And I want you to personalize it. Psalm 34, 1 through 6. It says, I praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are discouraged take heart. Come and let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering and he heard me and he set me free from all my fears. If the enemy is trying to bring condemnation and beat you up or trying to use the words, you are disqualified because of fears. No. That just means that he the enemy knows you're a threat to his plans. And he wants to do whatever he can to hold you bound and captive. God is saying, come to me. I love you. I value you. I want you to experience the fullness of my love, the fullness of my purpose and my plans for my life, your life. I don't want there to be any distance it between us. I want you to fully rely on me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, the first place that God wants us to begin is our relationship with him. If you say, Dixie, as I've been listening to you talking, I don't have any peace, I don't have any joy because I don't know my purpose for my life. Your number one purpose is to know that God loves you and that he wants to save you. That's your number one purpose. And if you don't have that relationship with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can just raise your hand and say, Dixie, I want to know. I want to know him intimately. I want to, I want to hear his voice speak to me. I want to know that I can run to him anytime. If you say, I have never asked Jesus to come and be my Lord and Savior, but you to raise your hand and we will lead you right now for you to experience that relationship with him. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, are there any barriers? Are there any constraints of fear operating in my life that I am not aware of? Or that I have, I have covered? I have fallen into a deceptive trap of trying to be strong for my family, trying to endure that I'm being self-reliant. Have I fallen into any of those traps of fear? Lord God, do a greater work in me. Come on, if you could just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my plans. I surrender my family. I surrender it to you. I renounce control 
of any form of fear operating in my life. Fear of failure, I reject you. Fear of man, I reject you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to take full reign in charge of my life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making me fearfully and wonderfully made. I receive your truth that I am yours and you are mine. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Come on, guys. Daily remember the R's. Recognize, repent, renounce, receive, and rejoice. Rejoice. Because when you begin to rejoice in who God is, when you begin to say, God, I need you, God, I praise you, God, I love you, you know what you're doing? You're doing what David did. You come at me with a sword and with a javelin with a spear, but I come at you with the name of the Lord God Almighty. You call on his name. You take the authority that he has given you to take back the ground and to take back the peace with the enemy has stolen from you because he doesn't have the right. Because God did not create us to operate in fear because he is the prince of peace and we are his children. Enjoy. He wants you to get out of the boat and enjoy the adventure as he calls you each and every one of you for something that's bigger than you. He believes in you. You can do it. Amen. 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 Amen.